Hey, everybody, you're back at the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski, and I'm looking at my dear friend, Dr. Jenny Lee, MD. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Kim. How are you? The topic, you're going to learn how Dr. Jennifer Lee, who is a professor of anesthesiology in critical care medicine and pediatrics, the Division of Pediatric Anesthesia, and Hopkins Senior Associate Dean for the Office of Women in Science and Medicine. So, Jenny is going to share with us her journey of becoming a leader, becoming a senior associate dean. And she's going to kind of walk us through how that happened for her, how she prepared for leadership opportunities in general throughout her career when she was, you know, building her research, building her practice, making the CV look like the job she wanted one day. And then she's going to talk about leadership circles and finding colleagues at a network. So she was saying, do you think that'll be interesting? And I said, oh, I guarantee you, we all, everyone wants to know, how do you get these positions? How does it happen? How does one prepare? And then once you do get the position, how do you make sure you knock it out of the park? And by the way, Jenny Lee, knock it out of the park, but take over, Jenny, uh, help us figure this out and learn how you did it. Well, hi, everyone. And thank you. As you know, I have two kids and a very busy husband and I have a busy work life. And so I do a lot of my training by listening to podcasts in the car and on my way to work and often on my way home, I'm listening to a podcast episode. Thanks to you. And so you have been part of my leadership training through this podcast. As you said, I'm the new Senior Associate Dean for the Office of Women in Science and Medicine at Johns Hopkins, and I'm in, I think this is my ninth or 10th month, and it's just been an extraordinary road. And what I wanted to talk a little bit about today is what people can do if they're considering leadership in the future, especially if they don't know exactly how to get there. And so for most of my career, I became faculty in 2010. And for most of my career, people would say to me, well, Jenny, what's your five and 10 year plan? Mm. And I'd be like, my five and 10 year plan. I don't know what we're having for dinner tonight. I'm not sure (laughs) how my husband and I are going to shuttle the kids around to all the sports and music events this weekend. And so it was too much for me. And I think it's perfectly fine for us to say I'm going to have small little plans in my career And the advice that I want to give is try to make those small little plans merge with something that you really care about. And I know it's so cliche, right? Merge your passion with your work, but it's true. And probably it's probably been five years ago now that I decided I really wanted to work on faculty development and gender equity. And it was something that I was passionate enough about that I kept working at it no matter how many obstacles got thrown up at me, how many barriers went up, how many problems there were. And I have an old mentor. His name is Ken Brady. He is a pediatric anesthesiologist. I think he's the cardiac anesthesia chief now at Lurie Children's Hospital. And he would say to me, Jenny, if you don't get up in the morning and think about it while you're brushing your teeth, you may not be passionate enough to really pursue this with all of the barriers that are going to come up in your career. And so I call it the teeth brushing test. And this (laughs) pursuing faculty development passed the teeth brushing test. Mm. And people often say, well, did you have protected time to build your niche to work on this? And I will say, no, in the beginning, I didn't have protected time. 
I was fortunate that I was doing brain research at the same time and I was doing clinical medicine, but this was something that I was so driven in that I felt like nothing was going to stop me. And so in all of the little extra five minutes, 10 minutes that we can find in our workday, I would chip away and work at it. And so if I could give advice to people who are trying to take their career in a direction that they feel really passionate about, I would say, for you, is it passing the teeth brushing test? Can you work on it in the little spaces in your day if you don't have protected time? And it's okay to squeeze it in in those little spaces. If it's too much, don't do it. Let your mind relax, fit it into those spaces. And if you don't have a five-year plan, it's okay. Because if you can have something that you feel really driven to do, no matter how many walls get thrown up at you or if somebody insults your mission, if you know you're going to keep plowing along, I would say keep plowing along. So you had said, make your CV look like the job you may want one day. And that's the only sticky note I have on my computer. And I, I heard it a few months ago, but it's true. So you may not know what your dream leadership job will look like, and that's okay, because how can we possibly know? It's probably, look look at chat GPT, GPT-4, AI, you know, all of the jobs that will exist in the next five to 10 years, I probably can't even imagine right now. But if I think about what really gets me excited, makes me jump out of bed in the morning, makes me say, I'm going to keep working on this no matter what works or what doesn't work or what barriers I may find. If you stack your CV with that, you never know when a door could open and a leadership opportunity could open up. So the dean's office position that I now have opened up in 2022. Is that right? 2021 in 2021. And no one could have told me that this is what you should be aiming for. I didn't know that the job would ever open, but the door swung open and there was an opportunity to apply. And if I hadn't spent the last five years trudging up the hill and finding those five minute, 10 minute in between times to really work on gender equity and faculty development, I would never have been prepared to walk through that door and apply when the door became available. And so I would say it's okay if you don't know your exact five to 10 year plan, but get the experience and the, the knowledge and the exposure in some area that you really, really love professionally. And then when the door does open, you'll be prepared to apply. Now you got to get the door to open, right? And you've got to find the door. And so that's where all the networking comes in. And so as you're finding a project that you really, really care about and a pathway that you really, really care about, let the world know how much you care. Let Get your name out there that you're working so hard on this and, and that you, you want to be part of these groups. You want to help build the niche. And then people may say, hey, did you know that there's a door over here <laughs> that you may not have seen before? And then you can apply. So you you said, uh, and I'm, I'm re- hearkening back to, I was kind of actually looking up your last episode on the Faculty Factory podcast, episode 134, and it was where you shared your habits and hacks, and you talked about the Welly program that you built, the Women's Empowerment and Leadership Initiative, W-E-L-I, that you established with the Society of Pediatric Anesthesia. And that was such a great project, so maybe you're going to just talk very briefly about it, but again, folks, Episode 134, you'll hear um, Jenny talked all about that. 
assisting women in pediatric anesthesiology with gaining skills, knowledge, confidence, and opportunities to achieve their career goals. So that to me is a, is a testament to your passion for supporting and bringing up other women because you actually created this Welly program to do just that. And as you mentioned, I know you you weren't getting salary support to do this. So that's a great example of, well, somebody's out there thinking, well, I've got an idea for a program or a thing or a workshop or a seminar or an experience or just a, a networking up something that you can do that fills your heart with, you know, because you're saying you pass passes the tooth, you know, the toothbrushing test that just puts on, it kind of serves two purposes. So I like how you merged your professional society needs with your passion for supporting other women. But as you said, lo and behold, you weren't doing it strategically, so to speak, for this is going to be great someday when I apply to be the dean for women. You had no idea, but it was a, a very innovative way of marrying your interests that lo and behold, set you up nicely for, I remember when you were interviewing it, how like this is a perfect example of what we'd want our dean to be doing, to be creating innovative, creative programs. So I don't know if you want to talk, um, I just kind of talk. Yeah, a that, bit. that's <laughs> good memory. That's exactly right. So Welly is the Women's Empowerment and Leadership Initiative, and we founded it in 2018. And so one of the keys to Welly's success was uh, I partnered with a team of people who were also very passionate about faculty development and gender equity. And the backbone of Welly is exactly as you said, helping the members pursue their career goals, whatever they may be. And it takes a coaching mindset in that our, our coaches or our clients or our Welly members or our faculty need to choose the path that is most exciting for them that no matter what, they're going to stay on that path. And a large group of women and men leaders within the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia came together to build this program for our faculty. And so the reason Welly was successful was the team. I got to meet and strengthen relationships with people who were just as dedicated to working on faculty development. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Welly has been, without a doubt, a team success. It's continuing. And I guess that was a way to network. I never thought to myself, well, I'm intentionally networking. But when when you find an area that you're passionate about, I guarantee you there's somebody else out there in the world that's also going to be passionate with you. And I think that's key to staying on that path when things get tough, when you're mm -hmm. basically climbing up the mountain on a treadmill that's going the opposite direction and there's like rocks falling at you. That's also key for when you're probably needing to switch paths a little bit and to keep going in the same overall direction to have a team with you um, and people that just have your back. And so that's so, so important. You, Jenny, can you help us like think back to when you were this idea first arrived, the Welly idea? And again, I'm thinking of faculty members who are listening to the podcast and they're maybe envisioning their leadership journey, or they're already leaders, and they're maybe mid-career, you know, late career, and they're coaching and mentoring and sponsoring and advising early career faculty members. Can you help faculty members think about how do you make something like that up? How does one create, nurture, build something like this? So right as you were talking, I'm envisioning you 
seeing an opportunity. So maybe I guess I'm asking, I'll make it, try to make it simple and shut up for a change. How do you see opportunities and not only see them because a lot of times they go, somebody needs to, you know, what's, you know, what needs to happen around here? You know what we need to do? Boy, it would be nice if turn that around and go, why can't I do that? If not me, who, if not now, when, like, how did you see the opportunity and when did it arrive in your head that you're like, all right, I'm doing it. I think my friends and I knew that gender equity was a major problem in the field of anesthesia because we had been talking about it for years. And if you just look at the demographics of most department directors and division directors and the leaders of our societies, you know, it's it's pretty male dominated. So we knew that we needed to do more work to support women who are pursuing promotion and leadership. How to make it work took years of learning the systems of the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia. And this is something I want to talk about today as we talk about moving into a new job. And so I spent at least two or three years on the board of directors in the society figuring out who did what, who listened to who. When somebody talks at the board, everybody listens. Who is that person? And when you work on something like gender equity, not everybody wants to hear it because some people feel threatened by it or uncomfortable. So who could I ally with that's going to stand by me and make sure that one, I'm protected and two, that the program will continue despite criticisms. And then after I observed who the strongest allies might be, then I approached them with a proposal and then brought a team of people together I had an executive leadership coach who was serving as a consultant. And then I cold called people from around the country who ran leadership programs. One of them was Dr. Nancy Spector, who runs ELAM, the Executive Leadership Academic Medicine Program. And I sought their advice and took little pieces of programs that I thought we could possibly do. And I wanted a new emphasis on coaching which is taking your client where they want to go, where they choose to go. And then Wally was born. But it was, you know, it was a four-year team effort. (laughs) And now we have a new advisory board. And so we're heading into our fifth year under new leadership. And I've stepped to the side and I'm just watching. But the key for me was uh, my teammates and my colleagues who came right along with me. And when I was down or depressed or felt like a rock had been thrown by my head, they picked me right back up. And then I would do the same for them. Wow. What an inspiring story, Jenny. Thank you for sharing that and for reminding us of the importance of establishing and building relationships. And you talked about allyship and you were so patient, the so patient, the way you said you observed who in the room that when they talked, everyone listened to and who are the kind of people who get things done and who have the various uh, positions of leadership and authority to make things happen. I'm curious if you, I'm, I'm thinking of a book I read, which I love the team It's called team of rivals. And it's an old big fat book, but talks about how president Abraham Lincoln got his, the people who were running against him and brought them to the table and in, and gave them leadership positions. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearkening back to some experiences I've had in my career where sometimes you, know, you, you keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. 
Yep. Is there anybody, did you have any of that kind of a dynamic where a naysayer or the people who are kind of like, uh, here we go, or the, the poo-pooers, did you have any of those? Um, oh, yes. Oh, how did that <laughs> yeah. work? Oh, it was tricky. So I had people accusing our program of discriminating against men. Oh. I had people accusing me of being discriminatory against men or not caring about men. I had uh, people saying our program was a method to recruit their star faculty away. I had faculty who needed to join the program in secret because they were not getting support from their department directors. And so how did we deal with that? We dealt with it by very openly addressing these concerns. So when we launched the program, we had a lot of national and international talks and lectures and publications about the program and how we were building it and what our early outcomes were. And I would just on the stage call out, some people have said we're discriminating against men. Well, more than 40% of our advisors are men. So why don't you join us? And all of our workshops, the men were invited. For all of our publications about our outcomes, we made sure to include quotes from the men about what they found valuable and what they themselves learned. And I always make sure to mention how many men got promoted through the program because they too made networks. They too received letters of promotion, many of them that I wrote and my women colleagues wrote for them. And they too received invited lectures through the Welly program. So I would try, you know, in the beginning, I wanted to run away from these criticisms and just be like, okay, never mind, never mind. I don't want to be in the line of fire. But then I thought, no, someone needs to stand in the line of fire and just address them head on. The critiques that we were coming up with a way to recruit star faculty away from other hospitals, we addressed that one head on in several talks by saying this is a way to keep your faculty engaged and make them want to stay. Because if we can help our faculty choose a path that is really valuable to them, that they love and merge it with their work, they're not going to want to leave that institution. And by making these star faculty rise up at that institution, the whole department and the whole university can benefit. And so we just constantly kept repeating this. And then fortunately, our members, you know, actually walked the walk. Many of them got promoted at their institution, started leading programs, used the lessons that they learned in Welly, and really put put the rubber to the road, if you will. They built the programs they talked about with nationwide mentorship and connections. And then the criticism started to get a little more quiet. There will always be criticisms and we have to be okay with that. And we have to decide what we're going to listen to and take to heart, which ones we're just going to make a note of and file away for potential future use and which ones we're going to say, yeah, I'm not going to die on that mountain today. And you have to sort those out. I was going to say, my teammates, my friends would help me sort that out. Yeah, It wasn't me trying to figure out what's high priority or not. Yeah. That, that's what I wanted to emphasize, that lesson of you were very careful to say that when you built that team, that they were lifting you up, that they had that power in numbers, that once you have, just like all the leadership books we read, a, a, a visionary leader, a leader who can sell the idea and help people see the possibilities and you communicate that and you 
inspire and encourage and you paint that picture and you get people hungry for that goal. And then you also show them that it is doable. Then people will come like we, we watched, we watched that. Oh gosh, was it? I think it was the junior faculty leadership program. Our colleague, Dr. Rachel Levine was leading it on, um, Oh gosh, it was well-being centered leadership. And we, she showed the YouTube. Oh, what was it? She showed the YouTube. I can't remember what it is, of course, naturally, but it's the YouTube. You, if you Google it about followership and it shows this, this guy, this topless guy at a concert and they're on the slopey grassy knoll and he's just up by him by himself when he's <laughs> dancing crazily. And it's a TED, not today, it's a TED talk. And the guy's saying, all good leaders need the follower. It's sometimes it's the first follower that will have the groundswell of momentum. So it's not necessarily like the leader, like the, the shirtless guy dancing was important because he got the vision of someone else going, oh, I want to join that person. So another guy comes running down and he starts dancing crazy. They're flipping around. And before you know <laughs> it, that that momentum spurred like there were 20, 30, 40 people. And his his message in the TED Talk was that, you have to bring people with you. And so you demonstrated that with your your vision, your, your teeth brushing test of like, nope, this is important. I can't shake this. I can't shake it. It's important. You painted the picture. You did the work. You built the team. You built the coalition. You shored up the defenses to the naysayers and you invited them in the conversation and dealt with it you know, head on. And then stayed with it. And I think what another thing that I see sometimes faculty so impatient, they want the quick results. And you're also demonstrating that this took years that people will also will stand on the sidelines and they'll watch you to see if you're going to dog this thing. Are you going to stick with it or is this a flash in the pan? Jenny's got this great idea. But, you know, it's like just one of these other ideas. It'll be gone. It's like the flavor of the month. You know, I'm not going to invest my time in it ever. It's just not going to last. And so I think some people are not those initial followers. They're the ones who stand back to see, does this thing have any traction? Is this real? And then they'll, they'll join in. So I, I think you're the trajectory of that, the Welly program by itself also just shows your leadership style, which is very strategic, thoughtful, careful in the planning and persistent. And that's kind of how you've work through your career from your science to your your working in in the OR and here you are as our dean and I see you doing the same thing that you're very careful in building relationships and mindful of criticisms but not letting the criticisms thwart your progress rather inviting them oh, well let's talk about that let's think about that you know so everything you're doing I think is fits in line with classic leadership pieces that we read and teach all the time. Well, that's very kind of you, Kim. I have to say I'm surrounded by amazing people and that's what makes it work. And so listeners, Kim and I work really closely and Kim is one of my amazing people that helps me <laughs> in my Dean's office role. Well, because I'm a like tremendous people, team. <laughs> it, it's a, it's just like a lot of us out there that teeth brushing test for me, it's the, it's the dog walking test. So my, my little dog mm -hmm. here, Sunny, when we're walking, I can't, my mind immediately goes to faculty development. What can I do? What can I fix? What can I change? What can I improve? What the, it can, it just runs in my head constantly. So that to me is a test that I have this 
passion that I can't stop thinking about faculty development. I can't. And that to me says, no, you're still, this is still important to you. This is still meaningful. Whenever I have a conversation with people, friends and neighbors who are in different industries, I immediately go to, huh, could our faculty benefit from that? Is that, should I get that guy to talk in the faculty factory podcast? Should I invite her? Ooh, what, I mean, that is to me the signal, like you talk about when you can't shake something from your consciousness and subconsciousness. Geez, that is, it's inside of you. You have to let that out. So I think that is a passion where people talk about that. It just becomes so much a part of you. You can't not do it. That's right. And then that's the path that you should pursue. And if you can build it into those small parts of your job, you never know where it could take you. Jenny, can you give, can you leave us with that small, can you think back of the small little plans that merge into the big thing, the small little pieces? Can you give some examples to faculty who are listening right now? How does someone like you who's in the operating room, and I've seen you many times on Zoom calls, all you know, costumed up and you're um, running between cases and you're joining. Where are those moments and what kinds of things does Dr. Jenny Lee do in those small bits of time? Like what is doable? I think best when I try to let my mind relax. And so, like you said, I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist. So in between cases, the operating room needs to be cleaned. And so while we're waiting it to be cleaned, and while I'm, as, a, as a pediatric person, a lot of our children are not going to go back to the operating rooms with us willingly, so we give them a sedative called Versed. And it takes about 15 minutes to work. And so once we give them this medicine after the child is sleepy enough that we can separate from the parents, I end up with a five or 10 minute break in between cases. And so on my phone, I have on every single calendar date, a repeating file. And if something comes to my mind, I just jot it down in the file. If I wake up in the morning and something has come to my mind, I just jot it down. And so I I use that technique for writing all of my manuscripts. So, you know, I do brain research. So before I write a manuscript, I pretty much have the introduction and the hypothesis and the discussion mapped out in my head. I just find those little five and 10 minute breaks type down some notes, and then combine them all later. And then I, I I data dump it. So I think about it, and now it's time to do the case. I empty my head of, of how I was going to structure the introduction and the, and the discussion, move to anesthetizing the child, focus on that, and then wait till the room is cleaned over, <laughs> and then think about Welly, and then put some ideas down on my phone, and then dump it out of my head, and then move on. And so what happens is I end up with this hodgepodge list of ideas, directions, possibilities. And when it's time for me to have a focused, you know, couple hours, three hours to really sit down and think about this paper or this project, I have all of these brainstorm ideas sitting on my phone and I just start to put them together. And that's how I use those little in-between moments. The other rule that I use that a plastic surgeon taught me many years ago when I was a medical student was if there's something else that needs to be done on the project that somebody else has to do, do that first. So for instance, if uh, you know we, we all did our internships, if there's a test that needs to be scheduled and you need to get a hold of a scheduler, leave the message for the scheduler first. 
and wait for that scheduler to get back to you. If you have a manuscript that needs to be edited, get that out as fast as you can. So then the editing portion is waiting on somebody else's desk. That's my one of my other time management things. So I prioritize the parts of programs and the parts of projects that someone else has to work on first. So then that's one technique to keep all of your projects moving forward at any given time. That's great advice, Jenny. um, You're definitely, I think, the queen of keeping multiple, multiple projects going. And now I see why that list taking, you are obviously in a habit of having one spot, one mechanism, one way, one time to to dump those ideas and then process. And I like that triaging technique, um, moving things to other people's thing, get it out of my hands, get them cooking on it so that I can focus somewhere else. That's, that's really great advice. Um, oh my gosh, I just lost something else. And I'll add, I'll add one other thing. I meditate five to 10 minutes a night, which helps. And I exercise. Mm-hmm. And if I miss those, then I I can't have that five or 10 minutes of free thinking, or I just can't think of things as clearly. And I can tell it's like my, my thoughts get jumbled up, but if I take the time to exercise and do Mm -hmm. some meditation for me, it flows a little bit better. Everybody's different, but that's my other big helper. I just dawned on me. What I was going to say is that so many of us feel like we need those big chunks of time. And so we use the excuse of, well, I don't have an hour to sit down and do that. Or I don't have, I need a four. I just need four hours to hammer out that paper. I just need, if I could just find two hours, I could get that thing done. And it's just folly to think that you're ever going to have a two hour chunk, a four hour chunk, a six hour chunk. Yeah. Between the hours of midnight and 4am, you'll have that chunk, but that's not practical. It's not sustainable. So those are really great ways, example of little moments where we can take those moments and instead of saying, well, it's really not enough time to get much done. Sure it is. You can condense what you need to do and just know that it's going to be an in and out. It's just kind of like someone saying, I don't have time to go to the gym, but I've got four minutes. I can do a minute of jumping jacks, a minute of burpees. I can do a minute of whatever that that's good enough for now. That's great. Um, so I, I think that's the key. It's good enough for now. So it it's never perfect. And that's okay. I personally am never afraid to write down something that is misspelled. I'll fix it later. <laughs> but at least I got the idea down while it came to my head. And so I personally am never aiming for perfection in those phases. I'm always aiming for good enough for what I've got for right now. Yeah, thanks for reminding us of that. Perfectionism is the enemy of good enough that we, so many of us also use that perfectionism and that's what kind of stalls us from beginning or mostly from ending or completing the paper or submitting the paper because it's never perfect. Well, it's never going to be perfect. People will catch those things. Editors will catch those things. Our co-authors will catch those typos. We're going to catch those typos. So yeah, I, the stream of consciousness, just get it on paper and then your brain can go, okay, ah, it's just to me like the shopping list, the grocery store list. I'm like, oh, I could definitely remember. I'm definitely going to remember aluminum foil and you know, <laughs> body wash. That's what I'm going there for. Absolutely. Got the body wash and the aluminum foil. Of course, I'm going to remember that. I'm not going to waste a sticky note to write that down. Sure enough, come home without the <laughs> aluminum foil and the body wash, but I got a hundred other things. Yep. So <laughs> freeing up your mind by putting it down, let your mind go, Ah, good. I didn't want to have to remember that. That's too much stress. That's right. That's exactly right. 
Oh, well, Dr. Jenny Lee, our Senior Associate Dean for the Office of Women in Science and Medicine, Professor of Anesthesiology, this is Hopkins. This is great. This is, um, thank you for your time, for your friendship, for your collegiality, for doing what you're doing and being a great role model for us and for sharing your time. Thank you, Kim. See y'all next time on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.